it's a privilege to be a part, even as a witness, of <clears throat> parents following the biblical example and rightly dedicating their children to God. That's what we're supposed to do. There are a number of scriptures that I'd like for you to read or listen to and then have you turn to um, one of them. I'll give you that scripture now. <clears throat> In 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, we'll, be, we'll end our reading there. But reading, looking back into <clears throat> the Old Testament, primarily for today in the book of Leviticus. <clears throat> in the book of Leviticus, 19th chapter, and then several other readings from the same book. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am holy. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus 20. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Then the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Then First Peter, beginning in chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, your former life, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The last scripture that we read, 1 Peter, tells us really in a single statement 
God's entire program. You be holy because I am holy. Now he said this. Old and New Testament said it to the Israelites after he brought them out of Egypt. He said this in the context, and it's not really changed, same thing today we face. But he said this in the context of a lot of gods who are worshipped by a lot of different people. Now, the Lord's the only God, but there are thousands in the minds of fallen people, thousands of gods. But if we look at all of the false gods and we look at the Lord our God, we'll notice something. It, this pattern is infallible. All of the gods created by humans are created in the image and likeness of humans. All the gods that are false gods reflect our fallen hearts. So every god who was being worshipped in Egypt when God called the Israelites out of slavery, when he led them into the land of Canaan, which was populated with all kinds of licentious, just depraved worship rituals. All of those gods reflected the people who created them. That is a rule we see wherever. And people do not rise above the character of the gods they worship. So the false gods murdered, were sexually immoral, were just depraved, debauched, because that's the image that's in here, in fallen man. Two then... And into that kind of culture, when God called a nation, a family, starting with Abraham, to every place, in every, even geographically, here's what God said all the time, come out, come out, get out of there, leave, separate yourself. Now separate yourself to what? Me. And then, this was, a, in a sense, a lost concept. It was here in the garden. You be like me. Don't create gods who reflect you. Let me make you into the kind of person that reflects me. That's all God's whole program. That's as simple as we can put it. We don't look like God. His whole program of redemption is to renovate us so that we do and then he's still not done when God restores us to his image then we are God image bearers we are and the, God, the letters of St. John he 
tells us that we are to be copies of God, of Christ. And the word he uses there in the original language is the word from which we get Xerox, a copy. God wants to make us copies of his heart, his character, then turn around and send us back into our local community, our society, our families, wherever, as God image bearers. We're advertisement for God. And that's what he intends to do. Now, he has massive work to do on us before he could do it. But he does it through the atonement, giving him a way to restore us to his image. I have heard and read some preachers rightly referring to 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, where we read again, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Re referring to those two verses and the ancient statement, thousands of year old statement, that all roads lead to Rome. In the ancient Roman Empire, when the New Testament was written, the Roman road system was famous and tied together the inhabited world. And so the phrase was, all roads lead to Rome. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 is the Rome of the Bible. Every road leads to that. You be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, there are two things that we see um, in every single one of the scriptures I read. I didn't point it out to you then, so you're, you're not at fault because you may not have seen it. But in all of those scriptures, including here in 1 Peter, there are two little words that show up. We are to be holy as he is holy. Second, we are to be holy or he is holy. So here's what we have. We have an example and we have an explanation. The example is stunningly, stunningly, God fully, without pausing, without stopping and kind of preparing us for this bombshell, his purpose is to make, remake, and restore my heart to what he originally created us and intended us to be. The whole Bible is the story of God creating an, a being, a free moral agent in his image and his likeness 
who abused the freedom of their will that God gave them and allowed them to exercise it, even to reject his word. And in that act, they fell from the image of God to a different image, an image of sin, rebellion, an inclination to turn their back on God. God's whole program, and here's the thing about God. He doesn't negotiate with himself or with anybody else about maybe lowering the standard. He doesn't say, well, man, they're a mess, and they're so far gone, I, I don't know what we'll do. Let's just kind of, well, this comes to my mind. A brilliant, Einstein-like genius whose name I won't mention because he's the opposite of that was featured in the news this past week telling us of the best cure he could come up with for crime in our country. Maybe some of you read it. Redefine it. Just redefine it. So carjacking is ride-sharing, I guess. That's how we solve the crime problem. We just redefine it away. Humans do that. Don't wait around for God to do it. God never accepted or acquiesced or kind of reconciled or sort of gave up when Adam and Eve wrecked what he had created. God said, well, I'm holy. I will never budge. I've got to restore him. I've got to provide a way to restore them to what I intended them to be and what I created them as. And there is no other option. So the whole story of Scripture is God's means, his way, and he, his patience has shown all the, the millennia that he worked to bring us back to what he intended us to be. And he's never satisfied until he gets us to that point. Now, the example here is that we are to be like God. We are to be little uh, Christs walking around and leavening the society. Now, this business of example, that God, we're to be as, the word as occurs in every one of those scriptures that we read, as the example do we, what does it mean to be holy? Here's a sad thing, too. Not only in the world, but in a large portion of the so-called Bible-believing church today, to be holy is not only denied as a possibility, but it's also almost, it, it's a sarcastic word. Oh, 
aren't you holy? We better be. We better be. What does it mean, then, if God's our example, He's holy, obviously, we cannot be omniscient, omnipotent, all the things that God is, and holiness with God has some elements that we don't have. One of them is that he is, he is holy other. Um, he is outside of all, though he's a part of. He's outside, he's other, otherness. Um, he's unapproachable unless there is a mediator between us. Um, and God, we know all through the scriptures, those who ever thought that they saw God, they didn't be an angel or some representation, but they would be afraid, I'll, I'll die. It's true. No person could stand in his presence and survive because he is so uh, brilliant and glorious in his holiness that we can't live in his presence except that he made a mediator to provide that, his only son. So it's through him. I can not only approach him, but it's through him that he works to restore me to the original image in which he created us. So, one, God's separate. Aside from that great separateness, there's nothing outside of God that in any way influences him to be or do or not to do. God is wholly other. But as it relates to us, he is separate and distinct from anything, anything that is sinful. God is utterly separate. Hebrews talks about Jesus the Son of God, and it says He is holy, higher than the heavens, separate from sinners. He's separate. Now, He loves sinners. He seeks sinners. He will bless sinners. He said so. I send the rain on the unjust. I'm kind to those who are unkind I died for them so God though he's separate he reaches out to us and loves us God is separate second God through his son serves I know it sounds contradictory but especially as Jesus walked this earth he came he said I didn't come to be served I came to serve and he seeks he comes to us he initiates contact with us he's the one who calls us draws us back 
he plants within every single heart through what is called prevenient grace, the grace that's given to every human being. And if we could describe it this way, it's almost like God has put within our hearts a little homing device. There's something that draws me. We can't explain it. We don't know why. But there is something that draws us out beyond ourselves to someone or something greater than I am, better than I am, distinct from what I am. You can go to the darkest, unreached tribes. And yes, they have a very little of a concept of the Christian God, but they have a conscience. They have very primitive moral values, but they nevertheless have them. And they'll do things like this. I don't care if it's a rock in the middle of the village or a stump or whatever. But they'll declare that stump holy. It's off limits. You don't walk on it. You don't go there. Then they'll select by some means someone out of the village to be the priest. The priest can go to the stump. You can't. He can go to the stump and represent you and offer, you know, cut a chicken's head off or whatever it is. But those concepts in unenlightened places, they're everywhere. That's the dim light, but it's light, that God gives us. We have a sense. You may not be able to identify very well, but all humanity has a sense of a being greater than I am and in also a dim sense, but a sense that I am accountable to that God. I am obligated to do something for that God to excuse me from the things that I've done that are wrong and that that God doesn't approve of. Again, it's mixed with massive error, but the fundamental thoughts are still there. The idea of sacrifice to appease that God, and they're not good gods. you got to go throw somebody in the volcano every year. But nevertheless, there is this sense of appeasing the wrath of an offended being. God is the only source of all of that even dim knowledge. But he's put something in the human heart. There's a great little verse back in, it's either Ecclesiastes or Proverbs. He has set eternity in our Yes, he has. We can't get away from eternity. Oh, we work as hard as we can, the whole human race, that this in this life is it. And once we die, we're just puffs, blue smoke, and that's the end of it. And there is no afterlife. And there is no God. And we work mightily to do it. I still remember, I still remember a guy very ungodly, bad language, just 
it was clear he wasn't remotely a Christian. He was a photographer, and he was up on the side of Mount St. Helens when it blew up. Now, fortunately for him, it blew north. He was on the south side, okay? Otherwise, he'd have been in North Dakota, which is where most of the mountain ended up. But he recorded being in the ash cloud, and he was down in a valley, and he was trying to get up this steep ridge, and there was just a little slim light right over the edge of a ridge, and then it was just black, and it was just roiling. He was the most, he became immediately one of the greatest Wednesday night prayer meeting, which we used to always have. He was a prayer warrior, let me tell you. He was praying like mad. Oh, God, save me. Oh, God, help me. Suddenly, suddenly, what he deeply knew and had paid no regard to, pushed down, disregarded, you can't run from God. He puts a homing device in our hearts to call us back to him to be distinct from the world, distinct from all that's around us, and to be brought back into his image and his likeness. So the word here, as, we're to be as God is. He's separate. He has nothing to do with sin. He is kind and good and loving to the point that Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. Paul describes it in our own hearts as love out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. That's what holiness in our hearts looks like. That's what the image of God reflects in our hearts. That's what his whole purpose is. His aim is to restore us to that. Now, we also have the word for. That's also through all of these places. The example we have is God's own character. That's what we're to live like and to reflect. Second, for is the explanation. Why does he require holiness out of his people? Why is his entire aim to restore us? Be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. The word for is his explanation. That's who I am. I will not have fellowship, deep soul fellowship, with anyone not like me. So if whatever I have to do, I'm out to change you to look like me, so then you can approach me. We have fellowship one with another. We walk in the light. The four is God's requirement, really. Because I am holy, you have to be 
you're going to be one of my people. Now, he spoke that in the Old Testament after they had been brought out of slavery, after he had delivered them from Egypt in a, the miracle of the Red Sea, which is a wonderful, and all through Scripture, it's used as an illustration of conversion. We're born again, and in that we're not only made alive and so forth, but we are freed from the bondage to sin and sin's taskmaster, Satan. We're free. And that's all God needed to do with the Israelites, correct? No. He called them. Now, here's what I, I want you to get this because it's both the Old and the New Testament. He called the Israelites holy people. Then he told them, you better stop being unholy and you better be holy for I'm holy. Well, I thought they were holy. In the sense of ownership of him in freedom from bondage, when you're redeemed out of slavery, you really in a sense, are, you never are not obligated. So technically, we're never not slaves. I just become, I change, liberty is really a change in masters. It's not no master. It's a change in masters. I'm brought from a task master, a depraved, malevolent, beastly master to a kind, loving, holy, good, faithful master. But I'm never not a servant. God didn't build us to run our own show. I will never forget. I hope there's nobody, you know, of the thousands that watch the services every Sunday. I really hope there's... <laughs> Nobody that would know who I'm talking about from former pastors. I'll never forget a dismal little home, poor part of Portland, calling on a man who never, his family had come to church faithfully, good Christians, but he'd never darkened the door of the church where I pastored. I don't know if he darkened any church door. His life was, and if, I mean this in the right way, if a life can be insignificant, now no life is to God, but as far as insignificance amounting to virtually nothing, this guy's life was like that. He was propped up in bed, um, dying, and I went there, his family wanted me, of course, we prayed for him for years. And they wanted me to come and give it a last shot before he died to try to talk to him. And I went there and prayed and read scripture and tried to talk to him about giving his heart to Jesus. He had to face God. He wasn't ready to meet God. And I still remember he, he kind of straightened himself up from leaning back on a pillow and he looked at me, kind of a sneer on his face. And 
he looked around that dingy bedroom and a small little house in a crummy neighborhood, and he just, to the plea that I was making, give your heart to Jesus. He responded, he said, just looked around, he says, well, I run this farm. And went out into eternity. Far as I know, he did meet God, but not under good terms. The world is foolish. We, we cannot, we cannot not let God make us like him. So his, his aim then is to restore me and the reason is, he says, I'm holy. If you're going to get along with me, you've got to be holy too. Now, the key here too, this is only in one of those passages in Leviticus, but it's critical. Well, it's, it's in the new also, but we won't go there. He made it clear. He said, old versions say, sanctify yourselves for I, the Lord, am holy, and I sanctify you. The word there in most newer translations is consecrate yourself to me, for I am holy. I am the Lord your God who sanctifies you. So all these commands to you be holy, you be holy, you be holy, do not at all imply that I am supposed to do it myself. God is the one who gets me out of slavery. He owns me. I am holy in the sense of ownership, but I am not holy, holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. I'm not holy, holy, which is exactly the same word when Paul prayed for the Thessalonians, he said, I rejoice in your faith, your love, your hope. And he said, your faith flourishes and you do good works. They were the best church he had in the New Testament. And his closing prayer was, and I pray that the God of peace would sanctify you entirely or holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. I can be partially holy in the sense that God owns me, takes me out of the world. Then in a deeper work, he wants to take the world and the hankering for it out of me. Be ye holy as I'm holy and because I'm holy. That's God's aim for us all question we have to have and ask ourselves and be open for God to talk to me is where am I at in that pathway? Am I owned by God? I know I'm saved. But have I ever, Romans 12, 1, present yourself unto God as a reasonable spiritual sacrifice holy and acceptable unto him. 
that is frankly, and we will quit, I do my dead level best. And I don't mean to try to plead my case here. I think you trust all of us that are ministering here that we do our best to tell you what God tells us to say. If I had my chance, I'd probably preach on sanctification about uh, two out of three sermons. It's the greatest need. It's God's greatest desire for us that he make us like him. He's God's always. Man, I do have to quit. God's always had trouble. And I don't mean that he's failed. But if you look at the Old Testament and you look at the New Testament, God's always had trouble not bailing people out of sin and slavery and bondage and making, owning them. But he's always been up against. Look at the Israelites. Look at even the disciples. That inner inclination of excessive love of self that bristles at God's agendas, God's will, when it doesn't please us. He wants us to come to the place, not in a every single morning, Lord, I give you today. We mean that. We do. But he wants, I had a seminary professor said this, preaching in chapel on Paul, who said, we die to sin, the sin. He said, rather than die daily, why not die definitely? That's what God wants us to do. Give up myself. Present myself. Consecrate myself. He's the one then that does a work in my heart that renovates me so that I can reflect his image like he meant us to be. Let's bow our heads. Dan, if you'll come and dismiss us. Father in heaven, as I was listening this morning, what came to mind was that idea of you're the potter and we're the clay. And you have a desire to work out all those infirmities inside that lump of clay that would be this human body that we live in, this tent, as Paul says. So I pray this morning, as always, that you would do a work in our hearts, that we would allow you to do that work. The things that you've laid upon our hearts this morning through this message of things that you want to do a deeper work, maybe farther back than we've ever experienced before, that we would be that clay. Although we're cracked pots and our light shine brightly, Lord, that we would be that lump of clay, knowing that we are safe in the potter's hands and that we would allow you to form us into who you want us to be. And obviously this morning we've learned who that is, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Can't do it on our own, but we can allow you to do it um, in us and through us. So help us to be a church, just a bunch of lumps of clay, safely held in the potter's hand, watching you work out all the things that you want to work out in our lives to make us look like our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.